the church across the world this week is nearing the end of the season of Lent. Next Sunday begins what is called Passion Week or Holy Week, in which Jesus enters the last week of his life on earth, his incarnation, and in which he will enter into deep sacrifice on behalf of us and our sin. The last several weeks, we've been looking through the Gospel of John, and we've been seeing pictures of what John says in John chapter 3, verse 16, that for God so loved the world that He sent His Son, His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For the last few weeks, we've been seeing pictures of that love. The Samaritan woman and Jesus' encounter with her is a picture of God's love. The, the, blind, the man who was blind from birth, whom Jesus pursues, seeks out to heal him so that he may know him, it's a picture of God's love. And this story that we're hearing this morning, it, it's one of the deepest and richest pictures of God's love in John's gospel. So the, the gospel is actually framed by these words, come and see. So at the beginning of John's gospel, there are these men who are following him. They want to know more about him. They're not sure who he is. And they say to him, Master, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. Then here, in John's gospel, this is just before Jesus is going to enter into his passion before he's going to wash their feet and then be arrested. And here, we come to this moment where they say to Jesus, actually, he says, where have you laid him? And they say to him, come and see. And what's happening here is we are being called to enter in into the depths of what God is wanting to do for us. You see, all of us are hopeless because we are all doomed to die. And without the Lord Jesus in His own death for our sins, we will remain in death. But because of His death and His resurrection, we have the hope of life. And Jesus is calling to all of us. John is calling to all of us through his story of Jesus. Come and see. Come and see what the Lord Jesus wants to do for you. The hope He wants to give you in your life. So that's what this story is about. This story is about love. Now I want to point out to you this love that is displayed in the story. So in verse 3 of chapter 11, there are two sisters, their name are, names are Mar Mary and Martha, and they send this message to Jesus, Lord, He whom you love is ill. Two verses later, we're told directly, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then there are these people who come to comfort Mary and Martha after Lazarus has died, and they say about Jesus, see how he loved him. This is a story about love. Very simply, it's a story about love. But it's also a story about love not doing what you hoped it would do. It's a story about love not doing what you hoped it would do. It's a story about disappointment and heartbreak. 
The message that Mary and Martha sent to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill, that message contained a hope within it. It's unstated, but it's there. They hoped that Jesus would do something. Look, this is the kind of statement that all of us make sometimes, a statement when we, where we mean more than we say. I know that husbands and wives make these kinds of statements to each other all the time, don't they? Man, my neck is really sore. Something like that. Katie and I, we do this thing in the evenings where the kids will go to bed, and then one of us will say, would you like popcorn? And what we mean by that is, would you make some popcorn? (laughs) But we don't want to presume on each other. There are all these deeply human elements at play in this story. For instance, who are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? What's their story? We don't entirely know, but did you know? I didn't know this. Did you know that Bethany, the town where they live, it literally means the house of the poor? There's some evidence that Bethany was just that. It was a place where poor, needy, and sick people could be cared for. It was a kind of hospice, a little way outside the city of Jerusalem where the poor could live. Add to that this highly unusual circumstance where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, three adult siblings, are all living together unmarried. That, that's unusual today, but it was even more unusual then. Some have speculated that Lazarus is actually disabled in some way, that Mary and Martha have taken it upon themselves to become caretakers to their brother, Lazarus. We don't know this for certain, but what is obvious is that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are not wealthy people. They're not. They're just regular people at best. Jesus, on the other hand, has become a well-known prophet, a miracle worker, and rumors are afoot that he could be the long-awaited Messiah, the one who will rescue Israel and bring about these long-held promises of their God. So to put it in our terms, Jesus has become a big deal. He's a busy guy. He's in high demand. His social status has increased beyond that of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And here's the point of all that. Think about, again, about Mary and Martha's message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. No request, just a statement. And think about human nature, the sense of unworthiness that a lot of us feel oftentimes. How dare we put someone out? The sense of smallness we perceive about ourselves. Mary and Martha's message is the language of humility. They do not want to presume that they're so important to Jesus that he would drop everything to attend to them. You see what's happening? They're asking, but they're asking indirectly, not directly. Because how dare they would presume on Jesus? Are they so important that they could presume on Jesus? But, and this is really important, how a person responds to an indirect ask is so important. Those 
I'm sorry, my, I'm, I'm very dry. Could someone grab me some water? <laughs> I'm struggling. Those words that express the, that unspoken desire. Thank you, um, Don. I'm, I apologize. I'm trying to ask directly this morning, not indirectly. <laughs> How Jesus responds means everything in this moment. It communicates Mary and Martha have this sense that they're not worthy, right? But if Jesus doesn't respond to them, it will only affirm their unworthiness. Do you see what I mean? If someone doesn't come and rescue us from all our sense of smallness, we'll, we'll just become smaller and smaller in our own eyes. So, how Jesus responds to Mary and Martha is going to mean everything to them. So Mary and Martha, they send their message, and then they wait. They wait by their brother's sickbed, wondering when or if Jesus will respond. And within this is one of the strangest statements in the whole Bible. And the, the story turns on this statement, and we're going to come back to it in a few moments. Right on the heels of being told that Jesus loves this family, we hear these words. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Listen, the tension is thick. It tells us he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and then it says, so he stayed two days longer. Are you kidding me? Is this what love looks like? Seriously, that is what you're supposed to ask in this story. Is this what your love looks like. It's an odd way of showing love. So Jesus' delay becomes hurtful, not merely because Lazarus dies. Did you hear what both sisters say to Jesus when they see him? Both sisters say the same exact thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's not merely that he died. It's that you, the one who claims to love us and could have done something, didn't show up. That's the hurt. It's hurt on top of hurt. It compounds the hurt. The story is about love, but it's also about love not doing what you hoped it would do. It's about the prayers that all of us have prayed that God hasn't answered, or at least not in the way that we hoped he would. It's about love, and it's about disappointment. It's about heartbreak. Where is God in these moments of life, in these situations, when we need Him to show up and we want Him to show up quickly, and it seems like He's stalling? Where is He? This story, it wants to say to you, it wants to say to me, that God is there in those moments when you feel like He's stalling, He's there, and He's filled with love. He's there, and he's filled with love. When Jesus arrives, Martha greets him first. Look, there, there's all this amazing tension in the story in all the Gospels about these two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha is ever the practical one, rushing out to meet Jesus. 
Mary, she really seems to have this tenderness and this deep sense of unworthiness about her. So she remains behind. Martha, she runs to greet Jesus. Mary has to be called upon to come see him. I think this is fascinating. Don't you know humans who are like this? Some people are just not bashful at all, right? Others, man, you have to call on them. You have to draw them out a little bit. So Mary has to be called upon, and she goes out to meet Jesus, and she falls at his feet in tears. She's hurt. Jesus sees her, and we're told that he is deeply troubled. But listen, that is a very uh, soft way of saying what, what the Scripture is saying here. The sense of these words is that Jesus is angry, even indignant, when he sees Mary's grief. Why would that be? Jesus is here encountering the pain that has been caused by sin and death, and it troubles him to his core. It angers him. And then Jesus weeps. And I'm glad that Travis paused as he was reading this for us. There's something special that we need to see here. Jesus, the Son of God, knows that probably two minutes from now, he's going to call out Lazarus and raise him from the dead. And still he weeps. And I want to say to you, death is not something for you to put a stoic face on for. It's not something that you just need to suck up and deal with it. Death is something that the Creator Himself is angry about. It has intruded in on His good and lovely, beautiful world. And death is something to grieve. It is something to be indignant about. And it is something to grieve. Jesus weeps. There are some standing nearby who utter a question that I think a lot of us ask whether uh, last night I was saw about the Mississippi tornadoes that had killed a number of people, and the question came to mind. I think this question comes to mind with war, cancer diagnoses. The people around say, couldn't he have done something to stop this from happening? Couldn't he have done something to stop this from happening? Jesus then proceeds to raise Lazarus from the dead. And the whole scene is painted as a foreshadowing of his own death and resurrection. There's the stone against the tomb that has to be rolled away. All of this is foreshadowing Jesus' own death and resurrection. But Lazarus' resurrection, we need to hear this, is not the end of this story. Why didn't Jesus prevent this death from happening in the first place? The story truly ends at a meal. And that's why we listen to to chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, in the story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with oil. They're at a meal. Jesus always intended the raising of Lazarus to be a sign, a picture in the present of what he's going to do at the end of time. It's a picture of what his own death and resurrection mean. 
Because of his own death and resurrection, Jesus will one day abolish all death and sadness from the earth, and we will all sit down with him at a meal. Restored to him and restored to those who love him with us. By the end of the story, Jesus has given to Mary what she wanted. She's at a meal with Lazarus, her brother, who had died, right? But he's also given her more than she asked for. She, he has given her a deeper relationship with himself. That is the deepest gift that the Lord Jesus can give us, is intimacy with himself, who is the resurrection and the life. You know, Mary and Martha said, if you had been here, if you had been here, if you had been here, it's the language of regret, the past. If you would have done things differently. God does not live in the land of regret. God lives in the land of resurrection. Listen, no matter how dark your life may be, because of the brokenness of the world, there are no accidents in your life. God is not regretting anything about you. Anything about your life. He grieves with you in the way that evil has touched your life. But God is looking toward the future and the resurrection He wants to bring to you. And the healing He wants to bring to you. By letting Lazarus die and then raising him from death, Jesus has shown that he does actually love Mary, no matter how much it felt like he didn't love her when Lazarus died. That he loves her more than she ever considered she could be loved, and his love for her is actually stronger than death. And while it may be difficult for us to see sometimes, his love for us too is stronger than death. There's a surprising connection between Mary's act of anointing Jesus' feet with oil and Jesus' raising of Lazarus. Do you remember Martha was afraid that the stench of Lazarus' decaying body would be too powerful for Jesus to handle? This is such a human element of the story. They live in a warm climate, and Lazarus has been dead for four days. This is a real story, friends. And that was a real concern. Jesus ignored that concern, and nothing more is said of it. Evidently, it wasn't too strong for him. But when Mary anoints Jesus' feet with this expensive oil, we hear this superfluous detail. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. We don't have to know that. Why does he tell us that? Only for this reason. To know that acts of sacrificial love are more powerful than death. Acts of sacrificial love are always more powerful than death. And Jesus' life and death are the ultimate act of sacrificial love. They prove more powerful than death. And then he calls us to follow him in similar acts ourselves of sacrificial 
laying down our life kind of love. And he promises us that his love, because it has been poured into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, is more powerful than death. His love in our lives is more powerful than death. I want to ask you, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that God so loved the world that he sent his Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And He is that for you, and He will be that for others. That He's willing to be that for others. Do you believe it? And I wonder if you're following Him with your own acts of sacrificial love. I love, and I'm going to close with this, I love what one writer says about Mary's use of this oil. Do you remember? Bethany means house of the poor. So one writer says, extravagance doesn't go down well in a poor house. Extravagance does not go down well in a poor house. And it doesn't. There are disciples all around who begin saying, what is she doing wasting this oil on him? Jesus is very extravagant in his love. And his love is worthy of extravagance. So the season of Lent, when we call people to fast and to pray and to give, it's not a season where we're supposed to uh, not be extravagant. It's a season to channel our extravagance toward its true purpose, which is toward Jesus himself, toward the Father. We, listen, we do extravagant things all over the place. Even in the valley where we're conservative, right? We're extravagant in many places. The, places, the place that truly deserves it is the Lord Jesus in worship and in laying down our life of, for him. Are you extravagant in your love? Are you extravagant in your generosity toward the Lord Jesus? Because He is extravagant towards you. Do you believe in Him? Are you sharing about the resurrection and the life? And are you being extravagant with the love that He's shown you? He's not stalling on you if you're suffering, He's there. And he's filled with love toward you. Amen.